0: I'm your host, founder, and executive producer at the Film Fund, Thomas Verity. I'm also an award-winning filmmaker, producer, and film festival judge. I started the Film Fund to give filmmakers an easier, alternative way to get their films funded. Instead of working on a screenplay, crowdfunding campaign, or grant application, you write one sentence pitching your film for a chance to receive up to $10,000 and other prizes to make it. Our summer 2022 narrative and documentary short film funding contests are now (laughs) closed as of today. So thank you everyone for entering uh check us out at the filmfund.co um in the future because i am butchering the script right here let's see <laughs> if you're listening at a later date don't worry we do host contests regularly so check us out at the filmfund.co to enter your one sentence pitch for the most up-to-date information um today we have melissa houghton on the show melissa is is it director of women in film and video what is your official title melissa I'm the executive, director, the executive
1: director, so I manage the nonprofit. Cool.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, uh, thank you so much for coming. Um, we got through that intro. I haven't had all my coffee yet, but you got the gist of it. We have more contests coming soon. Let's check out the website at thefilmfund.co. Melissa, tell us a little bit uh, more about Women in Film and Video and what you do. So
1: um, as I said, I'm the executive director of Women in Film and Video, so I get to be in the office a lot and working with upwards of 900 independent media makers across the Mid-Atlantic. Um, that's our membership base. But we also... Um, the organization was started in 1979 by some amazing women who were working in primarily news and documentary and didn't feel they were getting access to equipment and really good critiques of their work. Oh, and they weren't getting access to funding, of course, for individual projects. Um, they started meeting in someone's living room and very rapidly realized, wait, there are a lot of us out there. We can help each other. Um, so we started from a very communal mutual support benefit in 1979, which I love. I'm all about mission-driven organizations that are about bringing those different people together to see what problems they can solve, not necessarily identify, but solve. Um, So we work with people across experience levels. We work with um, our members encompass all genders, all genres, and literally all experience levels. So just last week, I was up in Philadelphia with a 70 plus year old filmmaker screening her first directed documentary oh, so cool. film at the philadelphia women's That's film
0: awesome. festival Where was that held? I'm
1: actually so um me. it was at it was behind <laughs> this won't be helpful it was behind an old church <laughs> in philadelphia um on north american street so it was just oh, last cool. weekend um and there's a new we've got a new sister organization I'm in Philadelphia, Philadelphia Women in Film. So we're looking for ways to collaborate that way. And I think that gets to kind of the source of what Women in Film does. As you know, Tom, film is basically a collaborative endeavor. You, you, at a minimum, even if you're doing it all yourself, you need to collaborate with the audience at some point. You need to have made something they wanna watch. So we as an organization are constantly um, building collaborations, trying to grab new partnerships in, delighted to be working with the Film Fund. It's been so much fun sharing your contests with um, our audience group. And I'm hoping some of them are submitting because we have got some great writers. But in the last two years under COVID, um, and continuing forward, we actually delivered more than 200 professional development and networking programs each of the last two years. And we're sort of on target to do that again this year. um, Which is awesome. I agree. Um, We've had an amazing roster of speakers and we've also launched some new programs. So building on our founders and their work in nonfiction, we've always had a very strong support system for documentary filmmakers. Um, We are, we may be the largest center of nonfiction media production in the United States, because when you start thinking of all the nonfiction work that gets done here, which may or may not include political ads, we're still on the fence about whether they're nonfiction. Um, but when you pull all those pieces in, um, we probably are the largest center of nonfiction film production in the U.S. So related to that, we have a documentary roundtable that we do with a um, parallel organization called Docs in Progress. And we alternate between trailer nights where filmmakers are getting feedback and information sources. So coming up, I'm excited. We've got Rachel Gordon talking about her documentary distribution toolkit book, which is awesome. And she'll be on everyone's desk, whether they're, doing nonfiction or narrative work because as an independent filmmaker even if you have a distributor you're in charge of your distribution so it goes from that we have a writer's roundtable animators roundtable makeup and hair we have just started a narrative script development fellowship this year working with five um, writers from across the region really honing in on their stories i'm guessing two will be in production by the end of the year i'm hoping one will be sold by the end of the fellowship program. You mm-hmm. think another one will have people looking at it. And um, the fifth one, hes if somebody wants to buy it, he's willing to sell it. If nobody wants to buy it, he's going to figure out how to make it, so.
0: Oh, that's awesome. I love that attitude. And so this is these are all uh, within the, the fellowship?
1: Yeah, um, it's an application process. The applications will open again in January. Um, at this point, it's only open to our members. Um, I think my biggest job actually is I'm building a ladder every day or going way out on a limb. So we have some filmmakers who are doing successful in competitions, whether it's for a finished film or their screenplays, who are um, a couple of our members have received Library of Congress Ken Burns Levine prizes to support their documentary work. Um, How do you
0: become a member? Pardon? How do you become a member? It's
1: pretty easy. It's go through our website (laughs) or call the office Um, because we're interested in working with emerging filmmakers too. You don't have to present a long list of these are films I've made. Mm -hmm. We work with a lot of people who might be lawyers during the day, but they know they have a screenplay they want to write. So we work with them between eight and midnight, (laughs) you know, during the evenings when they have time to do it or, um, and it can be anything related to film. And so we have, as I said, makeup and hair, we have grips, we have, we can put together film crews from our membership on a regular basis. And I I literally mean soup to nuts. Idea, the lawyer who's going to get you the rights to that life story, (laughs) the distributors. Um, And we find too, and and maybe you find this, Tom, I think probably you do through your competition. (sighs) The films that are representative of the American film industry are actually a very narrow storytelling band because they're coming out of studios that are firmly entrenched in the status quo. That's how they survive. That's good. That's Mm -hmm. great. Um, I think the stories that are more interesting are those hero stories where they don't necessarily have to wear spandex to be heroes, you know, and, and those other perspectives, I, I, there haven't been, there's so many, I'm a firm believer. There are like maybe six to 10 stories in the world, but it really is how we tell them and how we tell them gets more interesting when you're taking another slant. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm excited by some of the stories we're actually getting that are actually firmly coming from a female perspective and a female gaze. And it's just kind of, as a female, it's kind of refreshing. Um, I like those stories that are giving me a different side of the immigrant experience that isn't just, you know, all roses and we're gonna make it work. I love those stories that tell me a story of oppression, but it's a different way through it and out of it. There's a great film out of Africa right now called Neptune Frost, which is a story of oppression and overthrowing autocracies and things like that. The production design is astounding. I've seen the film three times already. I'm still not sure exactly whether it's Annihilation or Rebirth at the end of it. And that's kind of exciting.
0: Now is that, are these films um, primarily feature length or shorts or both?
1: Um. Because we serve all, we're in the service of storytellers. Mm -hmm. So while we do take opportunities to celebrate women-made films, we have a multi-year collaboration with the Library of Congress to have women-made films nominated for the National Film Registry because women's work is severely underrepresented in that national collection. Um, We love having, you know, filmmakers who are doing consistent work. At the same time, we represent all genders we're really representing all storytellers
0: okay
1: so is it is it an interesting story can we bring some resources to it that help make it better or get you the connections you need to get it made Mm -hmm. um if it's totally misogynistic it better be damn good
0: no i said are they um are they short films primarily or a feature length
1: oh it's a mix we actually have um we're a growing center for narrative feature film okay And we have definitely better scripts that are long feature film. Um, Lots of the documentaries are feature length, Mm -hmm. which varies dramatically. But we also started an initiative this year to get more short films made. We had a lot of people like, I really want to make a short film. Okay, what's keeping you from it? I don't know where to start. Okay, let's get you started. And we have five. um, We had um, a submission period for short scripts with some parameters on it. We got 26 scripts. We ultimately winnowed it down to five. Um, Three of them will have finished production by the end of next week. And the other two are working up in in pre production. And we really worked, don't try and do this in a weekend. We love the 48 hour film festival. We participated in it every year. But how do you really make a short film where you're paying people? So give yourself time to raise money, where you're giving yourself the time you need in pre production. So you're not running a 14-hour set; you're running a six to eight-hour set, and it may be three days, but everybody still likes you at the end of the project. You know, give yourself enough time to really identify the film festivals where it's going to work for you. And we're providing programming along that multi-month process to make sure they're getting more what exposure. Would you say to identify um,
0: a film festival that's good for your film, we get that question all the time.
1: I'm sorry. Yeah, can you repeat would you that one?
0: Identify a festival that is a good fit for your film. We get that question a lot.
1: being really clear what you want to have happen with your film. If you want someone to buy your film, you'd better be at a festival where they have a market and where the right people who are interested in short films are actually attending. If you're really trying to make community change, are you overlaying film festivals with cities that have an advocacy group on that subject matter or have a diaspora population that you know is going to turn out for that film? Everybody's film, I know a lot of films that see, reach more of their audience in community gatherings in people's living rooms than they will ever reach in a film festival. Because it's the right people coming together to see the film who want a tool they can use to talk about their subject in a way to engage other people. You don't always have the opportunity to engage with an audience when you're showing it on a big screen in a theater. So it's really thinking about those those pieces. Is it an educational piece? okay, what are the universities that have that major within their realm? Oh, and is the public television station in that community chartered by the university? Oh, you're getting a double hit there, that the university may program your film on their television station and they may give you a follow-up program. So really thinking about, I think sometimes everybody's film We'll find everybody, but everybody is never your
0: audience. No, I, I 100% agree with that. Um, and so what is your background before Women in Film and Video? Were you a, Are you a filmmaker? Did you go to film school? How did you get involved in this whole world?
1: Um, I got involved working for another foundation that had a national mission um, around issues of community development. And at one point we decided we needed to make some television programming. How are we going to reach... These people. We had local organizations we could work with, but how were we going to get out a consistent tool? I apparently either put up my hand or didn't lower my eyes during that staff meeting. So I, with really no film experience other than watching it, um, ended up having responsibility for four uh, PBS format, which were broadcast now um, broadcast across public television stations. Um, we. Pre- made those four films in not quite an eight year period, scarily. Some of them actually wonderfully, some of them are still showing up on television. But while I was doing that, I was working with women in film members. I was hiring women in film members into our crew and particularly into our outreach and distribution. At that point, I was also attending the PBS annual meeting every year to meet public broadcasters, because we knew that was the outreach we wanted. We knew we had the most flexibility. Public broadcasting is still the only network that actually is mandated to provide locally relevant programming. So through that, I was learning a lot about it. I left the foundation um, after serving as interim president for about 18 months, um, which was great. I then went back to doing, my graduate degree is actually in urban design and historic preservation. So I I worked in that field for a little bit and then was looking to get back involved um, as a staff person with a nonprofit. Women in Film and Video happened to be looking for an executive director. My nonprofit management skills were, I will say equally as important as my filmmaking background um, because the most important thing for a nonprofit is, is it sustainable? Does it, is it investing in its mission? Mm-hmm. And how is it engaging more people? So um, I kind of lucked in, No, I didn't. I worked really hard to get the position. Um, And I learned something every day. I mean, it's, it's, I'm very lucky in my job, that new stories are coming in, or those different perspectives are coming in. And as you can see, I have a very broad background that brought me here. And I'm still like, how did I not know that? How did I not know that there was XYZ and QRW? Or how did I never know this person met that person? And what are those stories? And so it's it's really, I'm engaged every day at work um, and frustrated at the same time. I mean, one reason the film fund is so critical is we don't support no. cultural creation in this country, as, as a country. You know, we don't have a minister of culture. We are almost the only country in the world, in the world, that doesn't have a minister of culture. We default to the free market system. Well... It takes time and money to create art and to create programs that people will watch or to write that book. And so one of the other things we're doing constantly is are we a regular drumbeat for why aren't we funding culture? These are the things culture can teach us. We don't just learn things through laws and policies and news. Sometimes we have to learn about, um, mixed marriages through a narrative film, like the loving story, like loving, as well as we do through the documentary, the loving story. We have to learn about how the, how poor people live in other countries through slumdog millionaire, as well as through born into brothels, you know, and, and how do we bring those stories? And sometimes I love working with filmmakers who are exploring both ways of telling the story. I want to do the documentary, but I think as a narrative, we can tell and bring in new audiences. So I have that flexibility, cause I didn't grow up in, this is the only way you can make films. That how do you pull it together?
0: Yeah, and that's, yeah, I think that's super important too, cause um, we talk a lot about film school on the show and you know, I've worked with people who have gone to film school and I've worked with people who haven't gone to film school and like people who have gone to film school, they know what to do, but they know what to do and that's it. Like they were taught a very specific way to make a film. Whereas if I'm working with a producer or a director who didn't go to film school, sometimes they'll be a little, I don't want to use the word creative, but they'll think in a way that's kind of more practical in a sense, because in film school, you just have so many resources usually to work with. You have the equipment, you have crews, you have everything. Um, You know, at the film fund, I didn't go to film school. So we we definitely respect the, uh, like the independent minded, you know, producer. Um, trying to make things work. And I think that's such a good strategy too, doing the, the narrative version and the documentary version, because you're right, it pulls in completely different audiences. Um, and you can you can tell, well, not completely, but additional audiences. And you can tell things in the narrative version, maybe that didn't get across in the doc version. And that's, just, that's just super interesting. Um, well, and the people- I had a question for you, or go ahead. Yeah,
1: go ahead. audiences tend to be one or the other too. So what is it you're trying to do with mm-hmm. film? And I think you raised a really good thing about film school too. We work with a lot of film schools in the area. Um, amazing faculty. I do think most people who go to film school do meet the people they're going to work with. They're building that team they're going to work with for a lot through their careers. And that's important to find early on people you can trust and are willing to work with you. I think the other part they don't learn is um, in film school, you get to make films and and you have to make films in film school. You don't graduate unless you do, but then you're in the real world and no one's being there like, well, unless you do this, You know, you're going to do that. And I think sometimes that real world um, part of it of how it actually works outside um, sometimes is a really rude awakening. So, and that's one reason we work at the film schools in the area. We love going in and bringing in filmmakers who've had multi-decade careers and saying, okay, but this is what we had to do to do that. You know, these are the other things we had to do to do that. Um, And I think one of the saddest things right now is some of our multi-decade filmmakers um, because the funding streams and distribution streams have changed so dramatically in the last three years are really not sure they want to continue making film because there's no longer anyone giving them the $600,000 they need to make the film upfront so they can just make it. Um, and I think that's, we're losing some really important voices. We're working to keep them engaged as, well, could you be a producer on someone else's film or would you be a mentor on someone else's film that they're in kind of the same space you've worked in? Um mm-hmm. And pieces like that. On the other hand, I love the democratization we're getting of media right now. Cameras don't necessarily weigh fifty pounds anymore. You know, you can. Microphones are a lot smaller. You know, you can you can film a decently good film on that computer you carry around in your back pocket, Um, Mm -hmm. and it gives you opportunities. I think sometimes for much more vulnerable and informative interviews or. Performances, because
0: yeah, we were it, uh, we were talking about that in uh, with what? Oh my God, Travis Beard. We didn't release the episode yet, but he was a, a previous winner of the Film Fund. He actually shot a. He got permission from the government, so I don't know how objective it is, and that's what we were going to be talking about. But he went to North Korea to shoot a documentary, um, and he went. He bought. He used the Film Fund funding to buy uh, a Black Magic Pocket Cinema Camera oh, cool. because the form factors are so much smaller. You know, you're not shooting on a huge, you know, ARRI or even a RED, like something that has all this equipment rigging associated with it. It's literally this big. Um, and, you know, like you were saying, especially if you're interviewing someone, someone who's maybe not used to being on camera, they can get freaked out by really big equipment. So having that small, um, I mean, the black, the pocket's like the size of yeah. an iPhone, basically. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's, it, it, technology is becoming super more... Um,
1: now, the other side where I think your programming is good and where I, where I believe in our programming is someday when I have funded every filmmaker that I need to, and there's still so many left, I'm going to buy a skin for a bus or something. And it's going to say, you have a camera, you're a filmmaker. I have a sharp knife. I'm a surgeon. I think there's, there's still, there are skills to be learned and nuances to be gained by actually learning how to tell story and actually learning, Oh, this isn't just a novel that I filmed. It's actually a film I'm making. And I think there's still, um, I I love the technology. I I love, you know, that we have those pieces that make it work, but just holding that piece of technology doesn't actually turn you into a filmmaker that somebody wants to watch. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And I think that's the other part where, um, I think there's a real need also just to have those conversations. We've got a conversation coming up next week on, um, what's the ethical framework for the for the metaverse. I want filmmakers thinking about that now before they just jump into the metaverse. Mm-hmm. You know, the, we do have a responsibility for the stories we tell and the way we tell them. It doesn't mean you can't be cutting edge. doesn't mean you can't be provocative. But you still have, there still needs to be an ethical framework for what we're doing and an empathetic framework for what we're doing sometimes. And again, that doesn't preclude difficult and dangerous stories, but we do have to take on the responsibility for those difficult and dangerous stories we're telling yeah. and then being willing to defend them and promote them. Mm-hmm. So I love that we kind of keep in, in this organization and we keep mixing back and forth. So we have the technology workshops, but we also have the workshops that give you time to write or learn how to format. Or mm-hmm. how are we thinking at the 30,000 view of, what am I doing to society by putting this piece out? And making something better can still be difficult and ugly at the beginning. I I don't mean to, a lot of conversations we're having now are ugly. They need to be had and they need to be uglier and and make us all much more vulnerable before we actually move to a new plateau. So I find it a really exciting time to be working with media makers just because you all have the technology and hopefully the teams to help you really tell the stories you yeah. want to tell. You
0: raise a really good point about technology, too. It is so great that technology is becoming ubiquitous and you have a camera in your pocket. But with that, you also said you still need the skills to be a filmmaker. You still need to learn. Just because you have that knife doesn't mean you're a surgeon. Like And we see that on the, the corporate side of things, too. For commercial video production, we just started our sister company. It's an agency called FF Branded. We use... Uh, the film fund community members, people who have entered the film fund before to produce commercials for other companies. And we were on a call, a sales call, trying to uh, you know get a client. And one of the, the, the prospects, she said, oh, well, why would I pay you this? I could just have my sister film this on her iPhone. And it's just like, okay, well, this person clearly does not see the value in filmmaking, but also is wrong because go. my answer to that is, okay, go ahead and see how it comes out because your sister is not a filmmaker. Your sister does not know storytelling or lighting or cinematography or sound design. Uh, So there is so much that goes into it. You're absolutely right.
1: Well, I think we're even seeing some films right now that they've had a lot of money spent on them for all kinds of effects and all kinds of people and all kinds of this. Somebody didn't really pay attention to the story. I mean, I was literally watching something the other day thinking, and all I could think of in my head was you, you had to have spent a fortune. I won't mention the project you had to spend a fortune. There's water, there's lots of people, there's period costumes, there's this, there's that, and the other thing. And you didn't, you're not upsetting any stereotype you're presenting. I've I've seen this stereotype a million times. Why am I watching it just in a different period? You know, and kind of like, I know five filmmakers that could have taken what you spent on this one episode and really put something out there that would have gotten people to stop and think about what we were doing. I'm, I'm really excited. I, I've seen a couple of films lately, that I find really exciting. And mostly they're ones we've also been told, you can't make that no one's going to watch it. You know, oh, you can't, you can't make a film where a 50 plus year old woman is the romantic lead, there's no audience for it, which my retort is usually, I've never seen you make a film with the 50 plus woman as the romantic lead. So how do you know there's not an audience? You know or fill in any of those you could change any of those modifiers or pieces in there but because of the changes in distribution and the changes in technology i do think we have a chance to make those films and build the audiences for them and at one point as more and more of them happen and some really good ones are happening now really good um the status quo will start to change they're totally profit driven so let's show them you can make a profit let's show them you can make an audience and then and, and it's not, I'm not trying to overthrow the studio system. But I'm not sure their measurements of success are the ones that are going to get us to the best storytelling. So how do we build a parallel universe where we may not have that much money, but how, what's an infrastructure we can build? Like the film fund, you're supporting a parallel universe. You're giving people with a good story idea some money to move it forward to a different level. You're putting that other, that next rung on the ladder for them and I'm so grateful you are. It's, it's wonderful.
0: Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. How, um, how did you find out about us again? I'm sure I asked you that on our previous call.
1: Um, I am an omnivore in looking for resources for filmmakers. So I'm, I have no problem being defined as a spider on a web, and I keep making the web bigger, and something jingled over there, and I followed it, and it was you guys. Oh, you know, yeah. and, and that that's why we work internationally you know i suddenly have a um the daughter of a friend who's starting school in dublin in two weeks and i gave her three resources of filmmakers in dublin she's studying film that she should oh, hook up wow, with so cool. i have no That's reason awesome. to know filmmakers in dublin <laughs> except yeah. oh i do so i come from a very liberal arts education background which is always you know and people will i hope laugh when i say here's a connection that I think you should make. I don't know what the connection will yield yet, mm. but I really think there's something there if you could just have a conversation with them. Yeah. And I think, I mean, you know, as an independent filmmaker, people don't necessarily give us a lot of support for what we're trying to do. We get patted on the back a lot of there, there, dear, you know, it's your passion project. You'll find a way to make it. Oh, that's a crappy pitch, but but I want to make a second. I want these people to make second and third and 10th films. I want them to find the niche audience they want to find that grows into something else. And so part of that is just how do you make those odd connections? You know, what is that? Who is that corporation? Who's kind of tangentially re- related, but not to your subject matter. But if they come on board, people will think about them differently. Okay. That's mm-hmm. the one you go after. Yeah. You know, and the same thing sometimes with foundations or, um individuals. So it's a lot of, and I live in Washington, D.C. You know, you never know who you're going to meet. Mm-hmm. And they're probably a spy, but they can't tell you that. <laughs> but when they let you know they were in Egypt in the 1960s, you have a good clue. And then you can talk to them about Middle Eastern filmmaking or, you know, something else. And you never know who they know. So um I think that part's good. I'm just, I'm intensely curious.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. And you said you're... um international with your organization. So do mm-hmm. you have members that internationally? Mm-hmm. That? So there is
1: a, there are a lot of women in film organizations and there are more of them every day. Mm. There is a core group that um, we're the third oldest in the United States. We started in
0: 1979.
1: Okay. Um, New York, Atlanta, LA, and DC all started about the same time. None of us, the internet didn't exist particularly. So they all started in isolation. Um, There are now about 40 in our collaborative group. We're all individually chartered. We all, our markets are very different. Mm -hmm. The DC market is very different than Atlanta, very different than New York. But media is boundary averse, not boundary restricted. So our people who are based in the DC, Virginia area travel all the time to work on projects because they're the best at what they do. Um, you know, you can be shipped everywhere. At the same time, we, all of these U.S. organizations were forming, organizations were forming, particularly in Europe. And we, as a group, were very engaged with bringing the international groups and the domestic groups um, together. And that happened in about um, the late 80s. Okay. And so we all are connected. There's an organization called Women in Film and Television International there's an umbrella group called Women in Film and Television US, and they kind of serve as umbrellas that all of us, you know, get together underneath. But then because in this market, people do tend to travel a lot for work, I want to have connections. So the other day, well, actually about two months ago, somebody's like, I need a fixer in Mongolia. How do I found them? How do I find them? I put it out to our members listserv. They had a fixer in Mongolia in under an hour It was recommended by a filmmaker. Could, uh, could
0: you explain what a fixer is for international filmmaking for filmmakers who might not know?
1: Yeah, I mean, we, we have lots of ways to reach out to people. So we have a members-only listserv where we post jobs, grant opportunities. Mm-hmm. Hey, my I should have posted our technical problem out to them. Um, because people are very interested in helping mm-hmm. each other. Um, it's also a great place to go, hey, I've had a corporate... You know, I've had a desk job for 16 years. I'm now going into contracting. How does one turn into a freelancer overnight? Um, So our listserv is, we have one listserv that's just for members only. And we push a lot of information that way. But we also have listservs for writers, animators, makeup and hair, short filmmakers, student filmmakers, um, international editors is one of our good ones. Um, All of those so that there's subject area listservs. And all of those are open to anybody. So again, if people get in touch with us and let us know what they're looking for, then it's like, oh, we can put you in here or come join this meeting. Last night, we did a happy hour at an ice cream store. Ice cream store. We had a very interesting group of people show up. So it's really good. Unfortunately, it rained, so not everybody showed up. But um, you know, there there are those kinds of pieces. And again, whenever we do a Zoom program too, we always provide time for networking. Let, Let us know what project you're working on. And it's amazing how you can find out three people you didn't know had a lot of film experience in Africa. You suddenly learn that fact and they all happen to be on the same call.
0: Yeah. Okay. um, Just for some of our filmmakers who might not know, what does a fixer do internationally? What does a fixer do for international filmmaking?
1: Oh, so they're your person, particularly when you're filming out of your own territory, who actually has the connections to either getting the permits, getting you to the right place on time. Knowing who you have to bribe, whether you're paying them too much for that bribe, um, finding you an electrical source for your equipment and for your backup, making sure they know where there's an internet cafe that's not being bugged by the government of that country so that if you're doing something that might get you in trouble and not let you leave the country, that's not the internet cafe you're working at. So fixers fixer kind of your um, right-hand person in that place who really understands how what you're trying to do happens in that place. And to be honest, you could use, you know, here in some neighborhoods, you could need a fixer in Washington, DC, you know, oh, this is who lives in this neighborhood. So we can work at this end of the block, but we're not going to work at that end of the block because then we'll have the secret service on us. So, um, it, it sometimes is a location manager, but often it's not because it often gets into those. It's a highly, highly functioning PA who knows how things work in that place. And yes, I've worked with filmmakers on their budgets to build in a contingency for bribery when we know where they're going, because I've worked with filmmakers who've been kidnapped yeah. more than once in other countries and needed to have access to money
0: to get out. The, the agency I used to work at out of college, um, the senior producer there, he was telling me um, that they would build in a budget for uh, kidnapping insurance yeah. for the projects.
1: Which basically you can only get from Lloyd's money. of London, and they don't always issue it depending on where you're going.
0: Wow, fun fact! Uh, so much knowledge we're we're getting today about uh, bribery and kidnapping insurance, and international <laughs> filmmaking. It's all great because that's they they probably won't teach you that in film school. I don't know. I, I didn't no. know. but yeah. <laughs> and we don't label
1: it as bribery on the on the budget because if it's going to a corporation, that might be a red flag. Exactly. But yes. but depending on where you're going, I mean, something always happens on set. Yep. I mean, Tom, have you ever worked on something where something unexpected did not happen?
0: I have not.
1: Yeah. And hopefully it won't be a kidnapping, but you know, I've worked with filmmakers who've um, learned the hard way. There are certain countries you don't take your filmmaking equipment with you in. Yep.
0: You hire, you hire there
1: Yep. because they're going to confiscate your equipment either on the way in or the way out.
0: Yeah.
1: Which is probably how they have it to rent to you later, but that's whatever (laughs) If you don't take it. You know, you won't be getting it back
0: international filmmaking is definitely tricky to navigate. Um, So aside from navigating bribes and kidnapping um, and just a lack of funding, um, what would you say are some of the major challenges your members encounter um, in the filmmaking process?
1: I think one of the biggest challenges I see over and over again is people not owning that they're a filmmaker or owning that they're a writer. A ton of them have day jobs that's something different and often very important. But when you're in that field, if that's what you're trying to do, um, we're calling it imposter syndrome sometimes. Um, but I think it's critically important if, if we're going to make the art, if, if we're going to make culture creation and preservation a critical part of our, our national identity, we have to own that it's important to do. We have to own that my work, whoever's work, is valuable to move those conversations forward. And there are a variety of ways to do that. Again, I mentioned, you know, nominating films to the National Film Registry. I will never get over the fact that Deliverance was accepted into the National Film Registry before a league of their own, because that was considered to be culturally, historically, and socially important to our nation's identity. Mm. Now, Deliverance is an important movie, not saying that. Mm. But seriously, A League of Their Own, we nominated it seven years before it made
0: it into the registry. I do love Deliverance, though. <laughs> yeah. Well, Have you read the book?
1: And now the music is running through my head. But Have you read the book? Um, by, I
0: think it's James Dickey. Yeah. The, the book's really good, too.
1: Yeah. It was, I'm not saying it shouldn't exist. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying.
0: No, I, I, get, I get what you're saying.
1: If we're, if we're representing the... This is an amazing place to live and work, mm-hmm. this country because there's so many stories that are here. There's so many there's so much movement. There's so many perspectives. And I think not gathering those things and really acknowledging the good, the bad and the ugly as all being part of the culture we're doing a disservice. And so I think there's um I think that's one thing that's difficult. Financing is difficult because everybody defaults to the free market. Oh, if that's something you want to do, pull yourself up by your shoestrings and do it. Okay, that's great, but I want to do it more than once. you know I think there are a lot of myths we have to dispel. I don't think every I don't think everybody's first film has to be horror. I, I know the myth. I get it. I'm not saying don't do horror. I don't think it has to be everybody's first film. I don't think everybody has to max out their credit cards to make their film or mortgage their house because that means you're not going to get to make another film for probably 10 years until you pay down those debts, goes
0: up and goes to Sundance, like Kevin Smith and you know, but the odds of that are very low.
1: (laughs) I I think that sustainability of independent media making is is something we have to work on overcoming. And I I don't have any direct answers for that, Um, but I think at least we're starting to have a good discussion. I think another challenge um, that I'm finding becoming less gender restrictive now is how do you have work as a creative and a family? And for a very long time, and still, it kind of does fall into gender who's doing most of both of those pieces. Um, I long for the day when the person who says, I have to leave now at four o'clock to pick up my kids at school and take them for a walk gets as much support from their colleagues as the person who says, I have to leave at four o'clock to mm-hmm. feed and walk my dog. Because everybody ooze and aahs over the ladder, which is important. But, you know, what are those pieces? And I think the last couple of years may give us all a, a different understanding of how we're going to, I won't say balance, but how we're going to share mm-hmm. um, work and life. I kind of like when they bleed over. I love it when somebody's kid shows up on one of our Zoom calls. Or we, we joke that it's not an official call unless there's a child or a pet. And then we make space for that child or pet for a second. Because to pretend that we only, all of our stories are informed by all that other stuff we're trying to keep off camera. And, and we have to make room for that. I babysit regularly at, at meetings. Oh, I can't get a babysitter, so I can't come to that meeting. I can take care of a child I haven't mm-hmm. killed any yet. I'm not afraid of them. If you're comfortable with me taking care of your child while you're in that meeting, mm-hmm. I have no problem with that because you need to be able to make the work and get the skills you need to make the work you want to make. And your child needs to see you doing something you love yep. and still engaging them because I want that next generation to go much more boldly into storytelling mm-hmm. than some of us have I mean, been able to. I think mean,
0: that's amazing. I mean, yeah, like you made a really good point. You're, stories are informed by your life experience. So why close out your life experience mm. and pretend like work is so separate from that? It's not like your life is work and work is life. And um, it's all about balance and integrating all of that. Um, and that's wonderful. Um, I think, yeah, uh, overcoming that challenge of separating the two, um, I think is something really important to focus on. So what um, what would you say is next for you as we wrap up uh, for you and women in film and video.
1: Um, I'm trying to climb off my soapbox for a second, and um, we're really working. We're really working on strengthening the infrastructure across the Mid Atlantic. Um, in terms, we have a very strong infrastructure right. here, but a lot of people don't know about it. So, how do we keep building on that? I'm very excited um, this last year with. Uh, a small grant from the National Endowment for the Arts, we were able to launch the Narrative Script Development Fellowship and really provide um, some more real world pieces for that. Um, I'm really thrilled that the the Board of Women in Film and Video is committed to continuing that and funding it internally if we have to. Um, I'm really, we are very, work to be very responsive to what our constituency is telling us are their problems and their issues and how do we fix it and find it. And I really do feel like we're on the, either the cusp or the edge of a cliff, not sure which one it is yet, to some of those pieces really coming together. So um, we have a documentary that was in our, has been in our fiscal sponsorship project. um, Oh my gosh, for eight or nine years, um, was on American experience this February. It's called the American diplomat and it's getting amazing outreach across schools and, you know, full push. And I'm so excited that we are an organization that because we understand that these projects take time, you know, I I'm not giving you a grant on Wednesday and that means you finished your project on Thursday. One, I I can't give you a grant that big, but you couldn't do it between Wednesday and Thursday anyway, no matter how much money you got, you have to let the story go. And I'm, I'm, it thrills me to my core to work with an organization that understands it takes time and not every project is going to work out the way we thought it was going to, but they're not pulling back from investing staff and time and, and working constantly to get other supporters to it. But at the same time, we're educating all those other people of someone just contributed to a project last week and literally one day later I had to call her back and say that project is not going to be completed. And I just found that out. Um, but she funded another project with the money, you know, and explaining to her this, this is just the way it works. So it's really exciting to work with a group, um, that is in for the long haul and takes as much joy in someone's success as we take a lesson from what didn't work right and then how can this organization maybe do something that can make that less likely for the next person to go wrong. Um, so we're constantly, I feel like I'm on a balance board all the time. Um, just trying to keep, you know, not fall off and get a concussion. Um, I, so I think that's what's next. We, um, I'm really excited to see what comes out of these short film projects. Um, and, and really see they're very different in what they're trying to make. And then really seeing how they play out across. Um, and I'm excited to see, um, part of putting the next rung on a ladder is it lets me go out a little bit further on a limb yeah, to try and see if I can find that other piece. And that for me, that kind of constant challenge, um, is really interesting. And at the same time you know, we want to be available that when it really doesn't work out and someone has to call you at two o'clock in the morning, they also feel comfortable calling you at two o'clock in the morning. Um, and I'm excited to see what's coming out of the film fund. I love the entrepreneurial spirit you've put behind that and how right. easy, well, it's not easy to write a good line. So I'll give you that. I just read a really crappy one last week, which I then didn't use in promoting the project. Um, but I love that you've kind of made it and yes. and. Easy entry point for someone who's serious about doing the work. And I think identifying more groups like that or getting other people to be excited about that um, is important. I think the audience building is critically important, and I, I'm seeing some good pieces happen there. Um and and I spend part of my time trying to educate funders about um about the process. And how they have to be a little bit flexible in their expectations as well as we are building that audience i love it when a filmmaker comes to me and actually understands where they think it's going to be distributed and why they know why they want to pick that route that's exciting
0: that's great yeah and thank you so much for championing us as an organization i mean we're uh we're definitely entrepreneurial i started the film fund as a college project god like i'm going to date myself and tell everyone how old i am but like six years ago or so and I've just been doing it since then. So, thank you so much for supporting us and you know showing us to your members and all the kind words. Uh, we have some exciting things in the works too. We're working on a feature film funding program that we're hoping to release uh, in October. So, stay tuned for that. And uh, Melissa, I just want to thank you again for taking the time to speak. Um, do you have social media channels where we can follow your organization online?
1: Oh sure, we're on we're on all the social media channels. We're on Twitter. It's WIFDC, WIFVDC. Sorry. Um, but yes, and I know I'm following you, and I've been in pushing people towards it. But thank you. I, um, As you can tell, I'm not very passionate about the work that I get to, to support and um, push forward. Um, but I'm so – there's such good stories out there, and they need an opportunity to be heard. And I really appreciate the work you're doing as well. So thank you.
0: Thank you. And uh, I just want to plug the latest contests again. They did just wrap up with the deadline last night at 11.59 p.m., but – if you're listening at, to this at a later date, which you will, because we haven't released the episode yet, uh, check us out at thefilmfund.co for the most up-to-date information. the We run contests regularly. Check out our social channels. We are at the Film Fund on Instagram, facebook.com/filmfundco, simply Film Fund on Twitter, and just the Film Fund on LinkedIn. So check this out for our next uh, contest announcement, which should be coming soon. Check out our blog at blog.thefilmfund.co for great filmmaking and producing tips. Sign up for our newsletter, follow us on social media to stay up to date on what's happening at The Film Fund. We also have an ebook that we painstakingly wrote on the pre-production process. It is the ultimate guide to pre-production. So if you have no idea what you're doing, but you want to start writing a script and budgeting and scheduling and all that fun stuff that goes into planning a film, check that out and uh, download it on our resources page, thefilmfund.co slash resources. wanna thank everyone again for listening or watching. If you're watching the video, feed of this that we upload to our social media channels oh we have a youtube too i never plugged the youtube we're uh we're the film fund on youtube we have all of our podcast episodes up there and some of our winning films that have been released so check us out uh, to just search for the film fund melissa thanks again do you have anything else that you'd like to add
1: um no um people go out and watch the movies and watch something that challenges you not just something you're expecting that you know what's going to happen um watch something from a filmmaker you've never heard of before they need your support
0: too Thanks again, everybody. I will talk to you soon.